The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk. Hello and you're very welcome along to the latest episode of the Home Show podcast. I'm Sinead Ryan. Well, it's wedding season and if you fancy getting married at home, we'll be getting some top tips on how to get organised if you have the space. We're continuing our summer series on Great Irish Houses, exploring one of my favourites, the sumptuous Kylemore Abbey. I'll be delving into the beating heart of the Cork art scene as the Lavat Gallery turns 60 this year and Arlene McIntyre on the ins and outs of designing homes for celebrities like Vogue Williams. If you'd like to get involved in the pod, you can email us here at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and you'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. Now, as we roll into yet another weekend of rain. It seems as if it's been doing nothing else since the beginning of the summer holidays. And contrasting that with the intense and really overwhelming heatwaves in parts of Europe, it's led many people to get anxious about whether to go to popular destinations like Spain or Greece. But I'm not sure it's actually going to result in any people cancelling their holidays. I was interviewing the president of the Irish Travel Agents Association during the week and he said they are getting lots of calls, but they're all looking for reassurance or like, even permission to go rather than to cancel. And I kind of think that's a very Irish response. You know, when you live in a small wet island, you can't blame people for wanting to get a little bit of heat, even the unbearable kind. So listen, uh, tell me your thoughts today on uh, that. If you have a holiday booked or you haven't and you're waiting on something last minute, are you going to go or are you going to stay? 53106 if you want to get in touch. And you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Now, when it comes to important days in our lives, the wedding has to be up there in terms of scale, scope and let's face it, cost. But demand for venues is always very high and of course, much more so now because we're still dealing with the backlog of COVID uh, lockdowns and all of the demand there. So one of the ways uh, people can get around this, if you have the space, is to, of course, celebrate your nuptials at home. Uh, And for that, you're going to need a marquee. So I'm delighted to be joined by Noreen Cassidy of Pavilion Marquees, who joins me now. Thanks very much, Sinead. Now, getting married at home. Now, the first question, of course, has to be about space, uh, because this isn't for your average three bed semi in Dublin. Yeah, depending really, I suppose, is really about the numbers and about the amount of guests that the couple are thinking of inviting. And that then determines what space is needed and therefore whether it's actually feasible. So the first question to any couple when they are thinking of getting married at home is roughly how many people are you thinking of inviting and have you a garden or a lawn or a field? And then we can help them and guide them in terms of whether that's actually feasible right at the start. Now, of course, marquees have come an awful long way from tents in the garden. This is an an substantial intervention and they're very, very posh these days. Yeah, I think marquees really, I suppose, like everything, have moved with the times. So uh, originally when they would have been perceived or when people would have been in them and even myself as a young child coming back to have holidays here in Ireland they very much were a tent and so they were either a canvas um, sides and a roof and maybe poles and then over the years um, the design factors have come in and they've actually developed now into being almost the equivalent of semi-permanent structures and uh, in particular at Pavilion we would work with structures where we give a lot of choice to couples depending on where the venue is 
and depending, say, for example, if they're looking out over water, so they might like to have, say, a long line of glass walls or clear roofs. So again, it just gives that ultimate choice for couples to be able to say, well, in my vision of what my day is going to be like, I'd love to get married at home. Often it's couples who are working abroad and they want to come back and they want to come back to somewhere that's very special and that's obviously at home. And, and the marquees and the structures that we offer now can be put up all year round. So, for example, this year we do have a wedding New Year's Eve. Um, we have a wedding the beginning of December. We've won the middle of November. And then obviously then the more traditional popular months during the summer. Now, tell me what's involved in actually, you know, putting up the structure. You're going to need lead-in time and presumably flat ground where you you can get in access and and put put it up. What's involved if you were to try and maybe have a hundred guests for something like that? Yes. Yeah, so basically, what would normally happen is is obviously we talk to the couple at first, um, establish the budget, establish the amount of people that thinking of inviting, and then before they obviously go ahead and book anything, we would always come and do a full site visit. And what that normally is, is we check access. So obviously that trucks can get relatively near to the site. And as you say, then we can check that the site is relatively level. Now, it doesn't need to be like a tennis court, uh, but certainly equally, it makes our lives much easier if it is level. Uh, but there are means and ways of making a site um, become as level as, we can, as, as possible. Uh, so we check all of that. Um, obviously, there's other considerations to take into account that if they're going to do outdoor catering, then we need to allow space for the kitchen marquees to put in there. And also then things such as the logistics and the behind the scenes, such as providing power, if it's a case that kitchen equipment is coming in to the site, uh, toilets, heating, lighting. And then the actual design and the choice and the layout of the marquee. It sounds like, you know, a mini festival with all the stuff that that has to go in there. So this isn't a cut price option then. I mean, people wouldn't do this, get married at home in a marquee because it's cheaper. No, Sinead, and, and I think that's a good question. And it's something that I never fudge. I obviously say it to people from the start. If you can imagine if you're going to choose to go to a hotel, that hotel has one carpet, a set of curtains, tables, chairs, linens, and so forth. And they may have had that same carpet and curtains for 20 or 30 years. When you choose to get married at home and you're going to bring in a marquee in, that's a once-off in many respects because everything has to be transported and everything has to then be erected. And then there also has to be everything collected afterwards. So what I would always say to couples when they're considering uh, getting married at home is to try and actually limit the amount of suppliers. And by that, I mean, choose a marquee company that can also handle all the logistics for you. Choose a really good caterer that not only can offer very creative menus, but it's got experience of working in a marquee mm. and can actually hire in all the equipment, such as the linens, the tables, the chairs, the delves for you. And really then, once you've got your two key suppliers in place, then a lot of what you think is going to be stressful goes out the window mm. because you don't need to worry about an electrician coming on site because the marquee company is going to organise that. So you really get to then enjoy the experience because you're really then choosing the colour of the linens, deciding on your layout, uh, all the different parts that you can actually put into a marquee mm. wedding that makes it truly a unique celebration. And I will say 
all of our couples always phone after they've sent out their invitations saying, oh my goodness, everybody's so excited because they've received an invitation saying, you know, please, you're invited to Jack and Jill's wedding at the marquee. Okay. And that's when the level of excitement kicks in rather than people knowing that they're going to a hotel that they've been to 20 times before and they really know what that wedding's going to be like. Yeah, yeah. Now, listen, what are they're the benefits then? Because you can you can custom design it then. You can go with whatever you want. You can have had chandeliers hanging from the rafters if you want and all of that. Um, so there's there's lots of benefits of having it at home. But, but what you're saying is you'd warn people that, look, you're going to have to do all that yourself. So a wedding planner is a bit like a project manager then in that regard. Yes, and I think it is something that couples... If, if they really want to go and have a wedding at home and be completely stress-free, then obviously the ultimate is to get a wedding planner. And I would clarify the word planner. Um, there's a lot of people out there that actually are stylists. So they're people that are very well good at styling tables, layouts, and so on. But you really need to do a little bit of research and just dig a little bit deeper and find out is the person that's going to be helping you actually somebody that can plan? Yeah, because you're I going to need the suppliers do... and you yeah. know caterers and electricians at the the kind of the scush work, if you like, rather than just making your Instagram look fab. Absolutely. Okay. Now, what would you suggest then couples avoid if they are thinking of going down this road? What what is you know what can't they do or what is restrictive? Um. The one thing I would probably suggest, which is going to sound a little bit sort of, um, I don't know how to say this, but don't have a wedding where the village takes part in putting it together for you. And by that, I mean that I would often talk to a bride and she'd be talking about a marquee and she'd be telling me where it's going. And then the next minute I would say, OK, have you spoken yet to the cage? Have you talked to caterers yet? Oh, yes. Well, my friend's cousin is a chef in a restaurant and he's going to do the catering. Oh, okay. Has he worked in a marquee before? No, 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 but he'd be fine. And then you say, okay, and then we need to discuss the electrics. Oh, yes, my brother's (laughs) girlfriend's friend is an electrician. And suddenly, with the whole village allegedly going to be involved in doing this wedding, and that's when it becomes extremely stressful. Okay, so So you're trying to... suppliers to the minimum, but suppliers who have experience, a reputation and can deliver and know what they're doing on the day. And if it lashes rain, Noreen, is it all is it all a washout or uh, does it all get catered for within the, the overall scheme of things? No, I mean, the same as if you arrive at a hotel and you have to park a car in a car park and make your way into the hotel. Um, there's always elements of any wedding um, coming out of the church or the registry office or whatever. So what we tend to do is work with the couple, have a plan B in place, um, the marquees generally are sized so that if it's the case that they have to use the marquee for the drinks reception as well, that there is actual ample space that people aren't going mm. to be squashed into it. Mm. Um, but often couples would opt to actually put up a smaller marquee as the drinks reception. And that's another element that's fantastic because when people then arrive at the house, it's the very celebratory, poppy, upbeat, everybody's meeting. And then when they come into the main marquee, if there's then a sort of almost a silence and a, and a oh, wow, this is beautiful, mm. 
we then we then nailed it as such, mm. uh, and we'd be very much into making it less is more, and that every part of the marquee is beautiful, and is quality, but you don't need to then have loads of things on the tables and various parts of decoration because the marquee should really stand as its own in terms of a quality product. And give and give that wow factor. All right. Exactly. Noreen, where can people find out more about uh, marquees? Uh, well, I'd love if they visited our website or in particular our Instagram, which is uh, Pavilion Marquees, and um, we update that regularly. Um, and uh, certainly if they ever want you to phone to just have a chat about the possibilities of doing a wedding at home, we'd be delighted to talk to them. All right. OK, well, listen, Noreen Casty of Pavilion Marquis, thanks a million for giving us those up-to-date tips on how to have a wedding at home. And still to come on The Home Show, we'll be getting a potted history of the splendid Kylemore Abbey as, and we'll be taking a look around the Cork City's art scene with the Lavitt Gallery. And later on, of course, Arlene will be in to talk about celeb homes uh, that she has created. Uh, so do stay with us and uh, we'll be back after this. Now, nestled in the heart of the stunning Connemara landscape, Kylemore Abbey is a must-see for any history buff with a grow for Irish heritage. And continuing our summer series, exploring the great houses of Ireland here on The Home Show, I'm delighted now to be joined by Ethna O'Halloran, Kylemore Abbey Experience Manager. Uh, Ethna, you're very welcome along to the show. I have to say Kylemore is one of my favourite places to visit. It's absolutely beautiful. Oh, that's great to hear, Sinead. It's something we hear from a lot of people, gladly to say. Now, it's been around not as long as maybe some of the older castles or or manor houses in the country. The foundation stone was laid in 1867 and it was owned originally by a family called Henry. Tell me a little bit about them and how Kylemore came to be. Okay, well, first of all, it's a good point that you make that it looks like it's older because it was designed to look like it was older. So it's like a baronial Gothic style. So they designed it so that it looked like a medieval castle on the outside, but then on the inside, they had all the comforts that were available at that time. So it was built by a man called Mitchell Henry. He was an English industrialist from Manchester, but his parents, his grandparents were all Irish. And he always claimed that he was English, but his blood was Irish. So he had this huge passion um, for Ireland. He's supposed to have come here first with his wife, Margaret, um, for their honeymoon after they married in 1849 and fell in love with the region and in particular the pass here at Kylemore. And he promised her apparently at that point that if he came into real money, he would build her a castle in Kylemore. So he did in the 1860s. He inherited the big family shipping and, in, and manufacturing business in, in Manchester, became fabulously wealthy and they built the castle then in Kylemore. Now, poor old Margaret, um they were very much in love and it was it was a love match and he, he absolutely adored her. And uh, but but it didn't end well for Margaret. They did have uh, children, but but she died very suddenly. She died very young. Yes, yeah, she died at the age of 45. So they moved into the castle here in 1871 and in 1874 she died while on holiday in Egypt. So it would have been from a drinking infected water, basically. And so it was very tragic. She left behind nine children. And so many of some of the children at that point, even when they moved into the house, would have been young adults. And so there would have been a big age gap between the youngest and the oldest. And the youngest child when she died was Violet and she was just two. So Mitchell Henry then was left with the nine children 
um, and bereft because it was very much a project that they dreamed about and worked on together. Um, Margaret was very much involved, especially in the design of the interiors here. And they always travelled together and were a really uh, connected couple, basically. So that was a huge tragedy in his life. And he poured his energy then where it had been already into Irish politics. And he was a founder member of the Irish Parliamentary Party and the Irish Home Rule Party. So he was really, really engaged in politics. And that's what his life's passion kind of really was. Now, did he stay in Kylemore? Because this would have been the height of the Victorian era and a lot of innovations were going on and uh, new inventions. Were, were many of them incorporated within Kylemore? They were. And actually, when they designed Kylemore, Mitchell Henry referred to it as the estate of every modern innovation. So they had surprising innovations. Um, things like um, they had gas heating, but the gas heating was made from an experimental gas factory on a model farm here on the estate. And they're actually making gas from peat. So he was trying to find all ways that he could work with the actual area to use techniques that would take advantage of what was already here. They brought in hydroelectric power in 1892, again, taking advantage of the huge rainfall here. They had things like Turkish baths on the, on the, mm-hmm. in the house as well. So that would be if you're out shooting and fishing all day long. And the shooting and fishing was a big draw in this area for these kind of families. You would come in in the evening, you'd have your beautiful sauna and your steam room, go upstairs to get dressed before coming down then all ready for drinks and dinner in the evening. So it was really nice lifestyle they had here with everything. So everything Henry wanted to do here at Kylemore, he wanted to impress politicians, journalists, change makers, people who could bring change to Ireland. And he wanted to show them what Connemara could be. He wanted to show Ireland as being kind of at the heart of the empire instead of being on the periphery. Mm. So he really wanted to knock the socks off anybody that he brought over here from London to impress. Now, of course, this kind of opulence sits in stark contrast to the way people of the surrounding areas would have lived. And a lot of them maybe would have worked for the Henrys as servants. Um, What was the relationship like between the Henry family and the locals uh, to whom they provided employment? Yes, so Henry seems to have had, as far as we can make out, a very good relationship and still a very good lasting legacy in the area. You would wonder if building a fairy tale castle is the most practical thing (laughs) to do in an area, you know, very impoverished area. But they were very aware of kind of their responsibility in the area and hence his involvement with home rule, hence the way he worked with tenants. Um, You know, he provided very good employment and they paid very well. So they brought really a new kind of era of kind of comfort in a way into the area. And he wanted to use the example of how he treated and worked with his tenants as an example of what could be done all across the country. And we kind of think the more we read about him as well, his whole time here at Kylemore became an education for himself. Um, the more and more he got to know the people and got to know the area. And he was very tireless in his work and in his campaigning Mm. on behalf of the West of Ireland. He was an MP for 14 years. And it really, we think it kind of drained him really eventually. In 1902, they sold the estate and he moved back um, to England. But he always kept his love for Ireland and his connection to Ireland. Indeed. And that would have been then something of a plum job to get working for him if they were such good employers. Now, Definitely. And even yeah. things like people who worked in the wall gardens here, if you could get in to work in the wall garden in Kylemore, you would be able to work anywhere else in the world. Like you would be given such good training and mm. you would be experiencing also things that people in these kind of areas didn't experience or, you know, even things like tiled buildings and abattoirs and, you know, 
all the beautiful inventions that were used here, it's kind of brought things to a different level in this area. Indeed. And the gardens themselves are absolutely magnificent. There's greenhouses and formal laid out gardens. Now, I was there in the winter most recently, so so they weren't at their best, but you could absolutely see the potential of them. Uh, and and they are still a work in progress. Uh, they're they're still, still a work in progress. So like we're there's quite a lot of... Um, restoration work going on at the moment. Eventually, we would love to see the 21 heated glass houses back in place. And even the glass houses had a really big part in what Henry was trying to do. So the politicians that he couldn't get here from London to entertain and to impress with what could be done in the West of Ireland, they would hold dinner parties in London. And at those dinner parties, they would serve salmon and oysters, bananas, nectarines, grapes, that had been produced here in Connemara. So, like, imagine doing that in the 1800s. (laughs) And they were able to say that in his home in Hyde Park, that we had these bananas brought over from Connemara. Connemara. And, you know, we all learnt in history that English politicians tired of the the Irish question. Mm. He was trying to reignite a kind of an interest and a passion and a belief that Ireland could be something better rather than the hopeless case that people felt it was. Now, as you said, the house was then sold down at the turn of the 20th century uh, to the Duke and Duchess yes. of Manchester. Now, they were, a, they were a different kettle of fish altogether. They were totally different. Like, sometimes we kind of joke here that the Duke was kind of um, Mitchell Henry's kind of shadow um, character. Um, in saying that, he was quite well liked in the area, but he wasn't really taken seriously. Um, he was a renowned gambler. He was always squandering money. He married this beautiful American heiress called Helena Zimmerman. She became quite well liked and, and well respected in the area. But I think she put up with a lot Mm. with the Duke, you know, Mm. and um, he didn't really wasn't really interested in investing in the area. He always had money problems and he didn't really have an awful lot of respect for Irish people, to be honest. And um, so he, you know, they weren't particularly bad, but they weren't the Henry's. And the Henry's were a hard act to follow because they were really the original improving landlords they in, were all about Indeed and of course yeah. because he was so profligate then you know kind of uh, he ran out of money and got into all kinds of financial problems but so Conmore Abbey and I think this is probably what people now know it best for it was handed over to or turned over to the Benedictine community in the 1920s and they of course there was a school um, a very very famous school for, for young ladies uh, that set up there for many many years and in fact it's only closed and, and finished a business in recent years. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that in, use of Yeah, it. in 2010, the school closed up. And the nuns actually did buy it because they they were from Belgium. Their abbey in Belgium was bombed at the beginning of World War One, So they were looking for a permanent home. And when Calmore Abbey, or Calmore Castle as it was then, came up for sale, they took out a mortgage and bought it. So the school was part of their plan to pay their way to make Calmore a success. Mm. And also they had a tradition of education for hundreds of years. Indeed. So the school, this actually year is the 100th anniversary of the opening of the school, of the official opening of the school in 1923. All right. And the school did become very famous, I suppose, because of its amazing location, because girls from all over the world went to school here. I went to school here and in my class there was girls from 
South America, girls from Alaska, girls from just all over the world. It was a really unique and interesting place. Indeed, and such a, such a special place to wake up every morning and look out on that beautiful, beautiful uh, scenery uh, that's surrounding you. So, Etna, it's open to visitors. People can wander around what was the right. school, what was the house. I, there's very thoughtful exhibits in there and uh, plenty of grounds. And, of course, you, you run little carts and buses and all that kind of thing just for the, for those who don't want to get all the way around. Yeah, uh, but we're it all is, set up for anyone who wants to come and visit. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. it is. It's a lovely yeah. day trip, actually. So where can people find out more about it? So we have a lovely website, calmarabi.com, www.calmarabi.com is the best place Grant. Um, to go to. And any of the Vulture Ireland sites as well, you'll find loads of information. We're on all the social media channels as well. So um, if you want to enjoy some of the lovely Calmore scenery, there's always lovely um, updates there. Yeah. And, and I can um, I can attest to the very, very nice coffee shop in there as well. right? <laughs> okay. Exactly. And uh, home baking and homemade chocolate. So it, lots it, to come for. It is indeed. All right. Etna O'Halloran, a Calmore Abbey experience manager. Thanks a million for joining us Thank today. Thank you, Sinead. Okay, show. have a good day. Bye-bye. Now, one of the nicest things that anybody can do on holidays or indeed at home is to go wandering around an art gallery. And there's lots and lots of them dotted around our cities uh, and towns featuring local artists and local work. And it's a lovely, lovely thing to do. Well, one of them, the Lavitt Gallery down in Cork, is celebrating its 60th anniversary this year. And I'm delighted to be joined by board member Francis MacDonald. Now, um, it's the gallery's 60th anniversary this year. Tell us a little bit about its history. Oh, yes, it is, uh, which is a very uh, uh, exciting milestone, Sinead. Um, the um, the Lavitt Gallery was founded as uh, as an artist's uh, cooperative 60 years ago, as, as, as you said, and uh, it's located in Cork City. And it's dedicated to promoting artists um, of course, Irish, uh, Cork-based artists, uh, first and foremost, but also Irish artists. And not only doing that, but also uh, increasing awareness of the visual arts and, 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 and educating people on just the, the wide range of, of work that's, that's available. So um, it's quite a milestone. And uh, to have a gallery in uh, Cork uh, for uh, 60 years, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really great. So we're very excited to have reached this uh, uh, 60th anniversary. Indeed. And uh, this upcoming exhibition now in August, Into the Weave, as the name suggests, is all about textiles. Now, for listeners uh, who may not uh, be familiar with it, what what do you kind of gallerists mean by textiles? Um, it's, uh, it's taking a broad interpretation of textiles, I think is probably the best way to put it, uh, Sinead. So what, what, what you're going to have in this exhibition is you will have artists who work with textiles. That's their medium, um, and they're textile-based artists. You also have artists who may have worked in other areas, and textiles is 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 a new departure for them. Uh, but you also have, for example, painters who use textiles and fabric as as their subject. So it is taking um, a, a, a broad interpretation of 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 textiles, but it's giving us quite a uh, a, a sort of a variety of artists. Um, so um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I think there's about fifteen in total showing showing in this exhibition. Now, why do you think it is that some artists prefer this type of medium 
uh, oversee sculpture or paint, which I, I mean, there is a, a kind of a traditional uh, background in weaving and linens and all of that kind of thing. But what, what is it about it that still attracts artists today? Oh, my goodness, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I suppose the tradition of, of working in textiles is, as you say, going way back and, and, and you're going back and you're looking at, for example, artists of the Bauhaus uh, working, creating functional pieces, but also you know creating things like 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 wall hangings. I think it's a very rich material. I think it's a very be- beautiful material, and also within text within textiles, perhaps unlike other craft based disciplines, Sinead, there are so many uh, different sort of ways to go. There is there's working with the fabric itself, but there's things like tapestry and embroidery and and weaving. Um, so I think it's kind of, it's 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 giving you a, a very broad uh, number of techniques, mm. which I think attracts, uh, which I think is also attracts artists. Now, there's as you say about fifteen artists uh, who will be appearing at it, uh, displaying works. But you wanted to talk about two in particular. Talk to me about is it Laura Angel? Yes, uh, Laura is based in County Galway. She's she's a UK artist who moved to Galway a number of years ago. Um, and, and and I suppose just as just in, to my 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 previous point, uh, Laura Laura's work she she uses tapestry, she uses crochet, she uses knitting, and she has created these um, various series of works, these totems um, series, very very large scale works. But the work that will be in into the weave in the lavish are some of her tapestry pieces. Um, and she shows internationally. She shows with um, a, a, a gallery in Switzerland, for example. She's showing work in a gallery in Paris at the moment. So she's doing very well and uh, uh, really making a name for herself in, in, in internationally. And I think it's nice uh, for her to have an opportunity to show in Ireland and, of course, show in Cork. And uh, when we think about tapestries, we think about grand houses and large wall yeah. hangings. But I, I suppose it is possible for, for modern houses now to display smaller tapestries or, as you say, embroidery pieces. Uh, is that a popular uh, thing for people to, to look at and buy? It is, actually. And, 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 I, and that's a good point, Sinead. I think sometimes with craft-based work, because a lot of it is object-based, so we have, for example, pieces in glass and people, pieces in ceramic. And I think people sometimes have maybe a, a, um, a little difficulty seeing them in, in, in the mm. domestic uh, sphere and seeing where they're going to place these objects. But of course, a lot of the work that, pe- that textile artists are creating are, are wall-based pieces. So one like a painting or a print or a piece of photography, they're putting it on their wall. So as you say, a piece of tapestry uh, can, you know, looks looks very good. And we do have one artist actually in the, in this show, uh, a guy called Matt Matt Smith. Yes, he was the other um, you wanted to mention. Yeah, who's he? He actually really really interesting. He's looking at very very old tapestries uh, um, like Rococo uh, um, and Baroque tapestries, and he's reworking them um, and. Um, uh, sort of working in uh, very often taking old vintage pieces and working in, in into them and again he's somebody who has been quite successful um, uh, in internationally and perhaps hasn't shown 
in Ireland a lot. So it's again, it's great that people like that are in, in, included in this show and that audiences get to see them in Ireland. Indeed. And, in and and I suppose that you get uh, when you have a very specific theme to any uh, display, you know, you will attract people who are who are specialists in that area, which which of is course. obviously great. Now, if people can't wait till August, of course, you have a current exhibition uh, featuring lots of different art styles. And uh, I've been taking a look at some of it uh, on your website and you've you've displayed everything. You've photographed it beautifully. There's prices. So it's very accessible for people that th- maybe if they haven't bought from a gallery before. And some people do find it a little forbidding to go in and, and maybe not have the right questions to ask. What would you say to them? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's a good point. And and, and I think that probably is one of the um is is, is one of the, 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 the kind of remit of the gallery and I suppose going back to why the gallery was founded its first day is 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 to make it accessible. And and I guess I would say to anyone in terms of, of galleries, uh Sinead, I mean firstly, don't be afraid. I I, I think uh, I think galleries in general are more accessible now. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, don't be afraid to come in to, to ask questions. Don't feel that you need to understand the work, interpret the work. Just, you know, go with your gut. What <laughs> yeah. do you like? What do you not like? Um, and, and, and I guess from the point, point of view of price, there are all different price points. You know, it's it's not a case of... Um, that 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 work is going to be you know at a very high price. There are there are literally all all price points uh, for all budgets and um, and you know, maybe and also I suppose you're looking at things like graduate shows. We are a little bit past that now for this year. The graduate <laughs> shows are all finished. It's yeah. going to be next next May and June. But um, you, but know, you could you could pick up the kind of the the. Uh, uh, an artist at the very beginning of their career and and exactly. if you love it and you like looking at it and don't worry too much about investing in the piece you know exactly. or, or keeping exactly. it uh, you you could be lucky and it could it could be uh, worth a few bob in a few Absolutely. years and you're supporting somebody at the beginning of their career and uh, yeah and that's very very important as well all right. Well, listen, Francis, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. And that exhibition, uh, the Into the Weave exhibition, opens up on the 3rd of August uh, at the Lavert Gallery in Cork. Uh, and it'll be available for viewing on Tuesdays to Saturdays. Where can people find out more about it, Francis? Oh, I think just go to the uh, Lavert Gallery website. All right. LavertGallery.com. All right. Thanks com. very much indeed for joining us on The Home Show. You're very welcome. Thank you, Sinead. very welcome back to the Home Show podcast. Now, some of you might have spotted Celebrity Vogue Williams, who has put her house up uh, for sale in Hoth. Just a cool 1.3 million, if you have it lying around. Uh, And of course, she's others, so she's not going to be uh, stuck for somewhere to sleep for the night. And some people, of course, are attracted by the notion of having a look around the homes of the rich and famous and what it takes to create that look in your own home. Well, do not worry, because with me in studio, we have Arlene McIntyre from Ventura Design. Arlene, not only, you're very welcome, not only did Good you uh, do you regularly go around the homes of the rich and famous, but in Vogue's case, yes. you actually created it. Yeah, that was a, such a fun project. And she and Spencer are just hilarious and great fun to work with. So when we were working with them, we were doing it virtually. It was during the pandemic. So everything was done by Zoom, FaceTime, uh, Teams, 
uh, and we managed to get it over the line. But it was tricky, you know, between all the lockdowns and the checkpoints and our team getting in and out and access and all those things. But it was a... They were challenges we didn't kind of foresee what might happen, but yeah. So there's a lot of trust involved then when you're doing something like that. So she's based in London. Yes. You're here. Yes. And uh, she's kind of saying, you know, do they, was she fussy or was she like, do whatever you think, Arlene? Um, She is very clear on colour. So she she really wanted it to feel very calm and warm and beachy and coastal. She has an incredible art collection of her own, a private art collection, which is really colourful and... Um, it, like intensive tones inside all of the pieces, really fabulous pieces of art. So we we agreed that the backdrop really should kind of complement the art rather than fight with it. So we kept everything really warm and beachy and coastal and cosy. So if anybody was up now to view it, kick the tires as it were to yes. have a look around before committing their 1.3 million, mm-hmm. what are they going to see? Those kind of um, kind of pale colours, the blues, the creams? Well, the we the house had actually was leaning, it was very dark inside in pockets of the house. So we just wanted to bring the outside in, bring in more sunshine. So our first thoughts were to bring lovely warm tones on the walls. And we used one of our own tones from Ventura called Hoth on all the walls, which is a really kind of sandy Tone. I wouldn't say cream, but it's more like a warm tone mm. on all of the walls. Excellent backdrop for her color of her art. And then our challenge was to really brighten it up. We got rid of all the tiles in the hallway, put in really lovely floor planks uh, throughout, running throughout the entire space, kitchen to the front of the house, to the back of the house, everywhere. And then lovely soft carpeting upstairs. Again, that just reflected more light and bounced around more light. Now, it's a fine big home. Yeah. I mean, I've had a it noodle is. at it online. Yes. But it's too small for her now. She's got three kids, which she's selling up. She is. And, uh, but she's, she's going to buy locally, though. Yes. Yes. Well, I can't. Have comment. you got a call, Arlene? Is really what <laughs> I'm asking you. I have, but I I can't comment. Obviously, that would be one for Vogue. <laughs> but um, you know, she's got a big entourage. You know, she's big. Ki- she's got a big family and kids and uh, yeah. friends. Like I'd imagine, she could fill up a few homes with all her pals when she's visiting Dublin, and and family and friends. So um, all I can really comment on is her own home. And it was really that lovely coastal. She kind of really wanted a Hamptons feel, but a modern yeah, Hamptons feel. Yeah, that's the feel. sense I'm Nothing getting. too classic. And of course, right there, perched on the on the kind of yeah. uh, looking out oh over God, Dublin. Oh God, the views and location stunning. aspect, gorgeous. So when you're dealing with, and nobody deals with as many celebrity clients as you do, Arlene, yes. but when you're dealing with them, in a lot of cases, of course, this isn't their only home. Yeah. So you're dealing with people who maybe only kind of staying there occasionally mm-hmm. or whatever. Do you find that celebrities are more inclined, like very wealthy celebrities who may be not there a lot, to kind of say, just do whatever you like, make it perfect? Or do they tend to dig down and live with you practically to get it right? It depends on the brief. It depends on the project. depends on the client, how busy they are. Uh, a lot of these very large projects that I'm working on through our other design offering, which is AMD Design, Arlene McIntyre Design, which is more interior architecture, handles conception to completion, large-scale, long-term projects that could go up to three, four years. So that we're, we're brought in from early, early construction stages. So, for example, one holiday home we've just completed um, earlier this year was a 10,000-square-foot Hollywood um, holiday home wow. in Ireland uh, on the bay in Waterford. Yeah, beautiful. God. Right. And um, that client was very hands-on because, you know, the the family intended to use it quite a lot. Mm. Um, They're just such a busy family, but it was like a little quick holiday home close to home for them. So do you find yourself like dealing a lot with PAs and staff? Yes. 
Okay. Yes, there would be a lot of that. Or you would be dealing with our project manager. We would be liaising a lot with their building team if there was, you know, uh, yeah. you know, if that was the plan or if that was discussed and agreed on. But there would be a lot of moving parts on these projects and you need to be like ultra organised. Right. Now, the rich, of course, are different from us, as uh, you know, as the WAG says, because yeah. they have more money. Yes. But it, when they're looking for kind of something a bit unusual yeah. or, or a bit, are they, they are more inclined to be a bit oddball, I'd say. Well, I'm just saying that now. You don't have to say that. To be but. fair, a lot of these people have travelled extensively. Yeah. They know it's out there. They're savvy. They right. just want to bring a piece of that magic back to okay, Ireland. So, so would they, they might say, would they say something like, oh, I want an Italian at feel or I want yeah. kind of this yes. Asian yes. theme. So their Pinterest pages, if they have time or if we're creating it for them, is really different to like your average... Pinterest page of stick of on a, an extension there early yeah. put in my kitchen. Their ask okay. is a little bit different. Yeah, right. So, um, like, what kind of unusual things have you been asked to do? I mean, I would ask you who, but mm. you're not going to answer me. But tell you will tell me what kind of strange and wonderful things have you been asked to incorporate in a celeb's home that like no mere mortal would ask for? Um, a really funny one. Um, it's such a small one out of many, but this one was a his and hers shower, but it was a joint shower so that they could shower together. Uh, okay. In the mornings. <laughs> I mean, it's a lovely concept, you know, it seems lovely. But a shower each. But it was, no, it was like a shower each within the same cubicle. Right. Okay. So the shower was enormous. Mm. Um, you know, it was like a small kitchen space, really. Yeah. Um, and And then, like... Kind of celebs like looking at themselves. They do. So I'm thinking there might be uh, like a lot of elaborate art wardrobes or oh, wardrobes. Okay, yeah. talk to me wardrobes now about those huge. closets and things like That's that. really important. So you know, really nice flowing uh, wardrobe spaces with good artificial light. If they don't have a lot of natural light, important to kind of work with both, because you know influencers like to kind of face the light when they're when they're speaking to camera or. They're doing their work because, you know, they are marketing people really at the end of it all. And um, Sex and the City, the reboot is on at the moment. And yeah. of course, one of the things that we gives us envy are shoe closets and things like that. Do, do people go for that? Like totally. just a wardrobe just for their shoes? Oh, to- oh my God, totally. So we have uh, wardrobes just for like watches, um, for shoes, for luggage, for hats, for handbags. And then uh, we're currently working on a wardrobe that is winter wardrobe, summer, autumn, all the seasons. And then they have a new clothes wardrobe. We have that too. Okay, so they're not going to be putting the plastic Hoover bags underneath their bed. No, with their wardrobe. no, but they're just different. Um, one client has a whole floor just dedicated to their seasonal accessories for the home. So when you go up, they have an elevator in the home. So at the very top floor, they would have all their Christmas decorations in one giant space of the house, all organized, catalogued, archived, labeled, organized. Several trees, bubbles, different color tones. And it's just left there. It's yeah. used. Yeah, then they have their Easter decor. And then they'll change out all the accessories from the winter to the spring, which is amazing if you can do it. Like, these are dream jobs. Right, how bizarre. Now, of yeah. course, look, when I'm, you were mentioning there Vogue's art. And I'm thinking of people maybe who love um, maybe art of themselves because uh, she has the lyrics to Madonna's song Vogue. She does. She up I on the wall. Love I mean, if her I, name. If I had a song with, my, you know, there isn't a song tragically called Sinead, but if there was, I think I'd do that. I, come on, it's such a cool thing to do. <laughs> and in Vogue's kitchen, actually, in her home, uh, I think I actually had this little kind of, it's like a little vignette or photographed where it is a strike pose. It's all the words of Vogue. 
and it's in a print and it's super cool. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, do people, celebs like photographs of themselves yeah. up around the house? Sure, or portraits. Of, okay. Yeah, why not? Because you can get really cool versions of portraits done as well, like an Andy Warhol kind of inspired yeah. type kind of portrait where it's not really all So they're not going to have me. Marilyn Monroe or not really, Princess Diana. Not they're really. going to have themselves. There's some pretty cool things, yeah, that they can hang. They're lucky. Okay, now, I do know that a lot of these uh, people, these uh, rich and famous people, don't like to head down to the Ben Dunn gym, you know, every morning to do mm. their workout. Mm-hmm. They prefer to do it at home Privately. in their own privacy. So talk to me a little bit about home gyms. How, how, do you get asked a lot to yes. put those in? Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, we've just finished one in the Channel Islands in Jersey. Um, and they had a really amazing home gym for where by their instructor would come in three times a week May it be their Pilates instructor or whatever, their training instructor might be his, hers. So we'd get a lot of that and it would be very focused around the equipment they would want to use and they would be very hands-on in that. So it's a really important part of their life because their wellness, if you like, in, in their thinking would very much kind of shape the rest of their day. Right. And for the ones now that would be kind of actors or sports stars or whatever, I suppose they ask you for display. I mean, they wouldn't be going down to Ikea and picking up a a Billy bookcase to display their gowns. No, no. They they like it all curated. You mean for their equipment? Yeah, No, just like if they won awards or their trophies. Yeah, that's all about where it should be, how it should be showcased, how it should be lit. So lighting would be really important there. That's a whole different kind of conversation about where you would showcase, you know, important trophies. But we've done that for a lot of our um, well-known Irish athletes, you know, that would have, you know, gained a lot of amazing trophies in their career. And we would have showcased them beautifully within their chosen space. Right. Okay. gosh, they really are kind of a little bit different. Okay. so if you were to pick out one or two elements from a really luxe celeb home that maybe us regular people could emulate what would it be? Would it be that kind of lush, neutral palette that just looks very plumped up and yep. hotelly? Is that mm-hmm. is that the kind of thing, or would it be wall to wall mirrors? Or not really. It really depends. Like every single client I deal with is different. One might you know be might have seen something we've done previously, and they'll say, "I love elements of that. Maybe that's not my favorite color. Maybe I wouldn't like that, but I like the tone and the feel of that." Can we do this? Some are some are very classic. Some are very classic contemporary. They kind of fall into that kind of hybrid of the two. Some are very modern, but they don't want it to be kind of cold and clinical. They want it to feel comfortable. So there's uh, different clients with different briefs for every project. Do you ever get asked uh, to do something that you're just inwardly crawling and cringing at? Yeah, I know. Yes, I do. Do you do it or do you persuade otherwise? Well, it is, you know, our job to make them happy. At the end of the day, this is their home. Uh, They're going to be living in the space. It would be my job to make sure that, you know, I help them make it look, you know, its best and feel its best and function its best. Give us an example. Well, you know, certain colors are kind of strong, maybe colors that I'd be nervous about in certain areas of the house where the lighting is bad or whatever. I had one client who really loved red, a lot of red, and had gone all in on the red uh, red walls, red sofa, red everything. And I was concerned for him about it, about it because... Be concerned far from me. <laughs> I like red, okay. but it was just a big commitment to red. And sometimes when you when you overdo red, it almost kills the color. Mm. Sometimes you need to contrast it with something else to kind of complement it. And in fact, red can look really great if it's coupled with the right mid-tone or, 
Yeah, I'm conscious now we're sitting literally in a room studio I with all the red walls <laughs> and the red microphones. I know, I know, so, I know. So, well, it's a working space, which is I different. I hope we're not triggering you But red's there, a strong I mean. colour like for a living space. It can actually, yeah. there's a lot in colour. Okay. That's that's an interesting topic in itself. Anything you draw the line on? Um, mm, 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 I can't comment, but there was one that I wasn't comfortable um, working with. It was a, It was a private space within the person's home. That I just felt was just maybe too intimate for me to get involved in. S&M room. Well, Something along say. those lines. <laughs> I can't go there. Sinead, you're so bold. But it was like, oh dear. Oh, we'll have Just gently tipped out, out of that one. <laughs> all right. Okay. God. <laughs> right. All right. Well, listen, it, um, celebs, as I say, are different. And if you want to view uh, Vogue Williams' beautiful home, uh, which only has nice things in it, uh, it is online, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's about 1.3 million. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what that goes for. Yep. And of course, uh, you will be designing her new home. So maybe you'll come well, and tell we'll us see. all about that. We'll, we'll see. see. All right. Uh, Arlene McIntyre from Ventura Design. Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us again on The Home Show and that is all we have time for this week if you'd like to get involved in the show or you have questions or guests you'd like us to feature please get in touch with us we love hearing from you during the week on our email which is thehomeshow at newstalk.com and of course I'm over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 and don't forget to check out our podcast uh, which is up on the News Talk website uh, thanks to Aoife Breen and Simon Keane producing this week with Stephen McLoon on sound and remember we are back here next Saturday at 8 o'clock The Home Show with Sinead Ryan, Saturday morning at 8. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk.